Have you ever seen the photo Struggling Girl? Uh, that name doesn't sound too familiar. It's also, maybe you know it better, it's also referred to as the vulture and the little girl. Oh, okay. Yes, I, I think I know what you're talking about. So this photo shows, for our listeners that might not be familiar with it, an uh, just absolutely emaciated Sudanese child laying on the ground in a field in just a pile of skin and bones. Its face is literally planted into the dirt and you can count its ribs. In the background, maybe, I don't know, 15 feet away is a vulture that is just locked on to what it very obviously thinks is its next meal. Yeah, I've definitely seen that photo. It is horrifying. You see a photo like that and you inherently want to know what happened next. Like what happened to that little girl? Did she survive? I just, you don't get the complete story really. I always wonder what happened next. You're not the only one who looks at that picture and wonders what happened to this little girl. I think everybody does. And the obvious person to ask would be the photographer who took the picture. And that photographer was South African photojournalist, Kevin Carter, who said that after he took the photo, he did chase away this vulture. So thankfully, vulture didn't get the meal. But then he left the girl to continue on her way. Apparently, she had collapsed on her way to a United Nations feeding center in Sudan. And this was all during the absolute peak of southern Sudan's famine, as they were dealing with civil war, floods, subsequent drought, and disease. And this picture captures that feeling completely. Did she make it, though? Apparently. Uh, and this is where we get into a bit of controversy here. Carter said that he thinks that she made it to the feeding center, uh, but we're not really sure, and people are not really happy about that. Extra, extra, read all about it. Podcast tackles controversies that define your world. Listen to Indubitably now. Extra, extra, read all about it. I imagine a lot of people are probably frustrated that, aside from shooing away a vulture, this uh, photographer didn't assist the girl with getting to that feeding center, it sounds like. No, and uh, in fact, as unhappy as you might be, this photographer actually won the Pulitzer Prize for this photo in 1993. So was uh, rewarded and brought a good amount of acclaim. I, I don't think there's many people who haven't seen this picture. And if they have seen it, I don't think there's many people who have forgotten it. That's well, certainly an impactful picture, but there's something that feels kind of disgusting that there was an award attributed to it when it was a depiction of human suffering that didn't alleviate really human suffering. Well, an article in 1994 reflects the sentiment that you're forwarding right now. I'm not sure I agree with it, but we'll get to that. This article says, quote, the man adjusting his lens to take just the right frame of her suffering might as well be a predator, another vulture on the scene. And this is not the only criticism that Kevin Carter got after people found out that he left this girl to carry on her way and allegedly, hopefully, make it to the feeding center. But for all we know, she may have faced certain death and he was clearly able-bodied enough to take a photo. So wouldn't he have also been able-bodied enough to assist people in that circumstance. It just doesn't ring as being the correct choice for me. I guess, but don't you think that photographers or journalists in general, right, the news media that's covering catastrophes around the world, their job and their focus needs to be on getting that information and getting those stories to the rest of the world, not being the person that directly interferes and helps in situations like this? I can see the point of journalism being there to observe rather than to interfere. But in really extreme circumstances like that, it feels like there's a call to action that any reasonable person should answer. I don't know. I don't think it's that simple. And in fact, 
Kevin Carter apparently also doesn't think it's that simple. Uh, unfortunately, he was 32 years old when he took this picture. And the next year after winning the Pulitzer Prize, he ended up taking his own life at 33 years old. And all reports suggest that this is based on depression that stems from either the backlash to this photo, articles like from the St. Petersburg Times, or just potentially his experiences in Africa dealing with constant situations like the vulture and the girl. I'm the kind of person that guilt really has an impact on. And I can understand that if there was any twinge of guilt for not doing something when he could have, that could really be devastating. While it's unfortunate he took his life, uh, the emotional after effects of something like this are probably pretty profound. But see, that might be where we disagree because I don't think that he did nothing. I think that he did what he is supposed to do as a journalist, and that is document what was happening. And to be honest, that's more than most of us do for situations like that. You know, I'm I'm not going to Sudan to cover stories like this. Um, and so I suppose because of that, I'm not in a situation to help a girl like this. But then does that make him a less moral person because he is there and doesn't? Seems to me he's doing a better job than I am. The circumstances that brought him there, notwithstanding, once he is there and sees something like that happen right in front of him, there's a, an obligation to do something. I don't know. I think his obligation is to be a journalist. And that's what he did. So it looks like we disagree on this one. Mm -hmm. What we usually do when we disagree is formally get into a real debate about it. But today we don't have a moderator. Oh, is, is that because you don't have anybody to pay off today? Excuse me. I won legitimately and, might I add, beautifully the last time we debated. Mm -hmm. But since we don't have a moderator... And I don't pay off anybody, audience, moderator, or otherwise. <laughs> I think we can still have some sort of a discussion about this and perhaps change each other's minds. Although I I don't think you're going to change mine. And I think I'm pretty set because I'm on the right side to begin with. Why don't we outline the debate now so that we can argue this as peacefully and in a structured way as possible? You must have been listening to our podcast where we tell people how to debate productively. For those of you that listen to our Does God Exist episode, we started by discussing the importance of a meta-debate, kind of outlining things clearly at the beginning. So to practice what we preach, what is the actual topic that you want to debate? What is our actual motion? I think that journalists who cover subjects in distress have a moral obligation to help that they have a moral obligation to act as good Samaritans. All right. So journalists covering subjects in distress, war zones, the girl and the vulture, seems legit to me, have a moral obligation. I think that's interesting to act as good Samaritans. That all sounds fair to me. Why don't we outline the categories of this debate or where we'll structure our arguments? I think for me, we probably want to start with the idea of humanitarianism. Are we actually helping people? I know you're going to say we are. Well, I'm so predictable. <laughs> <laughs> then why don't we move on to look at journalistic integrity? I'm going to say it's not. Also predictable. Surprise. <laughs> and finally, talk about what a, quote, obligation is. This obligation to act as a good Samaritan. All right. That sounds good. I think it's important on my side, before we start, to clarify I'm not saying that journalists shouldn't help people, but I think in cases like this, they should separate their charitable actions from their professional reporting. And I think when those two things come into conflict, they should choose journalism over charity. That's all well and good for whatever you're going to support. I, however, don't believe that we stop being who we are the second that we're doing our job. And so I think that Together, we can both be charitable and professionals, and so can journalists. All right. Well, I guess sub-debate here is, as we go through our arguments, I'm going to be proving that this sort of charitable action or stepping in on part of the journalists actually undermines their ability to do their job correctly. I don't think that you can do both in a lot of instances without undermining one or the other. So you'll see how that's true by the end of the debate. I doubt it, but you're welcome to try. And with that, 
let's go ahead and get into our first category of this discussion, which is on the topic of helping people themselves. Do the journalists who undertake these actions that may not be part of their primary role actually help people? Some would say yes. Some would say that they already do by being journalists. We understand that humans have both a need to be helped by other humans in a lot of instances, and also the desire to help other people in a lot of instances as well. And journalists are no exception because they are also people. In particular, this has been something that has been discussed at length among journalists and the academics that study journalism. And overall in the profession and the academics which surround the profession, there's been an agreement more or less about when a journalist can and even should intervene. And the criteria for when they should provide help are four. First, that there's imminent danger. Second, that the danger is profound. Third, that there is no one else present who can help. And fourth, the journalist has skills which would aid the situation uniquely. When those things are met, when there's nobody else to do the hard thing and a hard thing needs to be done, it is incumbent upon the the journalist to get in there and help people. So lists like this seem pretty and seem convenient, but I think there's a lot of gray area that they ignore. One of the things that comes to mind immediately is the imminent danger is not necessarily just to the subject that's in distress, but also potentially to the journalists themselves. In the case of Kevin Carter, what a lot of people didn't realize is the reason he didn't help this girl to the feeding center was because journalists had been instructed not to interact with the local population for fear of spreading diseases. So as much as his photo was this emotional lightning rod to bring attention to the famines in South Sudan, it also did himself a disservice because it got people so emotionally invested that they didn't take the time to look into whether or not he was making the right decision. So I think a lot of times these choices are more complicated than lists like this might make them seem. That's an interesting detail to this particular story that in nearly 30 years, I've never heard before. Considering the outcry that resulted from this photo and the subsequent trauma that the photographer had, you would think that that would come out more as being a pertinent detail to why he wasn't involved. That's my point, though. When people are so caught up in the emotions of a picture, they ignore the nuance of the situation. And while the people involved in a situation like Sudan or like a war zone, which we'll talk about later, appreciate a journalist harnessing that emotion, I don't think it's fair to then turn around and also expect them to go above and beyond the job and the humanitarian work that they've already done by capturing and documenting a moment and then ask them to do even more, especially when it could potentially put themselves at risk. So you consider journalism to be humanitarian work? I think if the point of humanitarian work is to improve the lives of people around the world, 100%, that's what journalism does. When it's done well, obviously. Is that just incidental to journalism or is that its stated purpose? I think that most people go into journalism with the intent of telling stories that will improve the world. I think that people go into journalism with the intent of telling stories. What's the end goal of the storytelling? Facts, just reporting facts. Either way, though, I'm not sure. Either either they're there to keep objective and just tell facts, in which case I don't think that they have an obligation to go beyond that and help because I think that'll undermine the facts, or it is humanitarian work and they're so they're already doing what you'd like them to do. What I mean is journalism is not inherently humanitarian. It may have incidental humanitarian results, but behaving as a humanitarian in addition to being a journalist does not subvert the humanitarianism of journalism because that's not its purpose. Its purpose is to report fact and being a good person is independent of that. If we're using this specific example, though, it is inherently humanitarian. Why did he choose South Sudan to go to? Why was he in that location where there's people literally being stalked by vultures? I don't know about you, but I've never in my life been stalked by a vulture. And it's probably because I've never been in a war zone or a famine-ridden area. I think his choices point to him 
prioritizing helping other people and bringing attention to areas that need the most help in his career choice and his motivations. We're making an assumption here that he had autonomy over where he was assigned to report. A lot of journalists go where the story is, and that's decided by their editors and their publishers. How much discretion do they have over the humanitarian nature of the subjects that they're going to be observing? So now you're suggesting, though, that somebody that's forced into a situation that's potentially dangerous now has an obligation to go above and beyond and put themselves potentially in risk to help others that they don't know. Yeah. They've never met before. Regardless of why they're there, if they are there and there is an overwhelming obvious need and they are the people who are capable of filling that need, then yes, they should help. That's the point that I'm making, though, is help does not necessarily have to be giving food to somebody that's malnourished or providing medicine to somebody that's sick. Help can be generating more attention for causes and ensuring that the people who can do those things more effectively than journalists can, their attention is brought to bear on the situations where they're needed. And that's exactly what journalists do. They are helping. Not inherently. Journalists go into any number of situations just to report. And it's not with a stated purpose of trying to improve the situation or even bring awareness to a situation. It's simply to report. The things that happen beyond that as I've said, are incidental and not the original purpose, or they would be cherry picking stories that had a particular bent to it. And real journalism doesn't operate that way. Like sensationalized journalism does, Fox News does, but genuine objective journalism shouldn't. I disagree with that. I think at its core, journalism is meant to improve things. The example that you're giving to me is very similar to suggesting that because some doctors go into plastic surgery and just pump people full of boobs or give facelifts, the medical profession is not there to help people. Similarly, journalists are there to help people and improve the world through objective reporting, even if there's a couple that choose the sensational payday. You're extrapolating a conclusion that I don't believe is inherent to journalism. I think journalism has people in it who do want to help people. And there may be news organizations that do want to help people. But at its core, the business is not meant to help in the same way that actual service like medicine does. If we want to talk about what journalism is supposed to be for, one place we could look would be the Society of Professional Journalists. And the Society of Professional Journalists has a code of ethics. And that code of ethics declares or principles as the foundation of ethical journalism and encourages their use in its practice by all people in all media. One, seek truth and report it. Two, minimize harm. Three, act independently. And four, be accountable and transparent. And sure, none of these things say specifically, we want to go and help people around the world. But there's a very strong sense of ethics here that would suggest that as a profession, journalists are looking to be ethical and improve the world. Let's talk about that minimize harm criteria that they've put out. Doesn't that seem like it would be inclusive of intervention? I totally agree with that. But the question here in our little debate, I think, is at what point does that become an obligation? At what point can they say they've done enough? Like, at what point would you be satisfied that a journalist in an area where there are hundreds and thousands of people suffering, at what point have they fulfilled their ethical obligation to help people, to be a humanitarian? I would turn you back to the criteria that I brought up, which I don't think requests that journalists solve all ills. What that criteria is asking them to do is when they are in a situation of immediacy and proximity, they're the only people there to do the thing that they should be the people who do the thing. I still don't think it's that simple. So one, I've shown that they can be more effective through generating attention to an issue rather than dealing with the issue themselves. And throwing back to one of our early episodes about effective altruism, I think that this falls in line with that, where you make sure that your efforts are put to where they'd be the most use. And I think journalists' efforts would be the most use in reporting, documenting, and sharing 
what's going on in hotspots around the world to the people who can actually help in the way that you'd like. But two, I also think there's a danger here of a savior complex. On the issue of effective altruism, could you accept the possibility that an even more compelling story would be one in which the journalist is involved in a way that helps people? Wouldn't that push paper a little bit too? This might seem semantic, but I I don't think at the point where the journalist is imposing themselves onto a situation, I don't think that it remains objective or news or journalism. I think it's still a story, but I don't think it's the sort of thing that you would read in a newspaper that's supposed to provide you the facts of the situation. I'm going to talk about this later when we get to journalistic integrity, but I don't think that it's possible to report on a story that you yourself are involved in. And that's where I think one of our big differences is when it comes to this discussion. You want to balance those interests and ultimately hold journalism as sacrosanct. And I say journalism is fine and good, but I am okay with sacrificing it for the resolution of human suffering. Again, I think potentially you're simplifying, though, because this journalist thrown in a war-torn or poverty-stricken area is not suited to oftentimes make the best decisions about how or when or should they help. So I actually want to tell a story. This is from an interview with Nick Oot, who describes a photo that he took in Vietnam. This is his words. When I first saw the napalm explosion, I didn't think there were any civilians in the village. Four napalm bombs were dropped. In the previous two days, thousands of refugees had already fled the village. Then I started to see people come out of the fireball and smoke. I picked up my Nikon camera with a 300 millimeter and started shooting. As they got closer, I switched to my Leica. First, there was a grandmother carrying a baby who died in front of my camera. Then I saw through the viewfinder of my Leica the naked girl running. I thought, oh my God, what happened? This girl has no clothes. I took almost a roll of film of her. Then I saw her skin coming off and I stopped taking pictures. I didn't want her to die. I put my cameras down on the road. We poured water over this young girl. Her name was Kim Fuck. She kept yelling, non qua, which means too hot. We were all in shock. Her uncle asked if I could take all the children to the hospital. I knew she would die soon if I didn't help. I immediately said yes. Kim kept screaming, I'm dying, I'm dying. Her body was burned so badly. All her tears were coming out. I was sure she was going to die any minute in my car. When we arrived at the hospital in Chu Chi, nobody wanted to help her because there were so many wounded soldiers and civilians already there. The local hospital was too small. They asked me, can you take all the children to the hospital in Saigon? I said, no, she's going to die any minute right here. I showed them my AP media pass and said, if one of them dies, you'll be in trouble. Then they brought Kim Fuck inside first because she was so badly wounded. And then I went back to develop my film at the AP office in Saigon. I tell this story because at first glance, it seems as though Nick did the right thing. But when I bring up the idea of the savior complex... I actually think it was incredibly narcissistic and paternalistic, the actions that he took in the story. He, he helped a, a, an injured child. <laughs> you have this foreign reporter, to, to be fair, he, he is Vietnamese. He was born in Vietnam, moved to the United States. But you have essentially a foreign reporter coming back and going to a hospital and telling the nurses and telling the hospital workers how to prioritize patients because he had some sort of emotional connection to this child. So he tells medical professionals, this is the kid you need to save. And if not, he threatens them with his media pass. To me, this is the world that you want. This is the story you want. People coming into situations and thinking they know best, reacting based on their emotions, trying to carry out their quote, humanitarian mission and potentially undermining efforts, larger efforts to save more lives than the one that they're concerned with. I prefer a world in which we are still ourselves when we're on the clock, regardless of what job that is. And the people that we are 
are going to act emotionally and impulsively. We're going to make decisions and we're going to threaten people and we're going to be irrational. But I would prefer that because it means that our humanity is still there because we we care to make somebody reject that part of their humanity and make them cease caring, I think is in a more inhumane resolution to this entire issue. But then this doesn't seem like empathy anymore. This seems like selfishness. This seems like taking care of your own emotions and the things that you need psychologically and imposing yourself into a situation that almost by definition, you are an outsider. A a journalist in a foreign country does not understand the situation as well as the people in it. And to tell them they have a moral obligation to intervene puts them in front of the people who live these conflicts every moment and oftentimes I think does more harm than good. The way that you're looking at this seems very callous. It does not allow for any any softness of people. And with that, we are going to get flawed people, people inserting themselves probably in things they don't understand. But I prefer the world in which their humanity overtakes their obligation to report. We're not disagreeing in our desire to have the people who are in need helped, but my method of doing it is just more effective. You have somebody whose skill set is reporting, bringing attention, motivating the masses of people who are in a position to bring resources, skills, and political will to bear in a situation. If you want a war ended, you want a country fed, you want a dictatorship overturned, a journalist is not going to do these things by attempting to save one child at a time and probably messing up hospital operations while they do it. A journalist is going to do this by reporting objectively, taking these stories, doing what they do best. And my suggestion here is that their best way of serving humanity is through that route, rather than directly attempting to help every suffering person that they come across. But that's not the ask that we have for journalists to help every suffering person. It's really about the immediacy and emergency of being the only people there who could help actually helping. Where we disagree, though, let's move to our second contention here, which I think is related of journalistic integrity. Where we disagree is what I brought up earlier in the discussion, where I said that it's impossible to cover the story, and help in that story at the same time. I'm not suggesting that journalists shouldn't help people, but that they should separate their charitable actions from their professional reporting. And you said those two things aren't mutually exclusive. This idea of journalistic integrity is my main reason for why I think that they are. If a person is going to jump in and help, they then should not cover the story. It undermines the credibility of the story. And so they are in a situation where they either help or they report. You don't hold the possibility even that it enhances their ability to report, to have a more direct link to the actual issue? No. So when you suggested earlier that there are a lot of journalists that are in it for sensationalism, for the profit, to get the story out there, to become famous, this is how you would do that. You would become the story. At the point where they step in and become part of the story they're reporting, it's just self-promotion. It's not journalism anymore. It's a blog. It's an influencer bringing attention to their actions and what they're doing around the world rather than them being simply the vehicle through which the story is told. That is incredibly cynical. You're the one that says they're out there for sensationalist purposes and humanitarianism is not at the root of the profession. I said some of them are there for sensationalism. And I don't think that helping people is a part of the inherent work of journalism. I don't see you making an adequate story here that tells me why somebody jumping in to literally save like a drowning child suddenly is akin to Kim Kardashian on Instagram. No, but when they jump in to help the drowning child, and then they write a story about it, that's when they're akin to Kim Kardashian. That might be a stretch. But that's when it undermines the credibility of the story. Because now, instead of, there are children who are drowning in X country, there is nobody around to help them, 
And because of that, they need your help. They need your attention. Something has to be done. And I'm bringing this to you so you can do something about it. Instead of that being the story, what they write is, I am a hero. I saved this child from drowning. They're good now. And you don't have to do anything about it anymore. That's BS. That is an incidental one-off rescue that happens that does not undermine the fact that there is a real issue that precipitated and led to this particular child drowning. And that I think can still be adequately reported on and doesn't compromise the quality of the journalism and doesn't let a kid die. But if you agree, do you agree that journalism should be objective? I don't believe all journalism should be objective. Do you agree that reporting the news and the facts and the stories of what's going on on the, say, the front page? Now, I'm not talking about the editorial section on the front page should be objective or not because, you know, it's not good for your side in this debate. No, no, no. I agree that that would be the stated purpose of journalism. But I also, and I'll get to this, think it's impossible for it to actually be objective, regardless of the involvement of rescuing drowning children. I agree that it's very difficult, if not impossible, for journalism to be objective. But I also don't think that it gets any easier when you inject yourself into the story. If it's already difficult to avoid bias, how much harder does it become to avoid bias when you put yourself in the middle of the thing that you're supposed to be writing about? Or at the very least, even if you somehow can put yourself in the story and remain objective, it portrays the image of bias to your readers or to your listeners or to the people viewing your images. And that undermines the efforts of what you're trying to accomplish with your journalism. Your answer to this then is that if they are involved in the situation, then they shouldn't report on it to avoid any air of bias or self-promotion or anything of that regard. But if they're the only people there to do the reporting on the issue, you would rather the story goes holistically untold than perhaps be imperfect journalism that comes out. Journalism is a tool and it needs to be used responsibly. You've given your standards for when you think somebody should help. When there's imminent danger, that's profound, there's no one else around, and the journalist has skills which would aid the situation. But I don't think it's a a leap to go from that, helping somebody directly in front of you, to using the platform or the voice that you have to help people that you think will be suffering and you have the capacity to rescue. For example, what if you're a journalist and you believe that it is the right thing to do to affect an election result? because you think it will save lives or help people's quality of life in the long run. You think that people might die if the wrong person gets into office. You have the capacity to change that. Now you can use your journalism as a tool to, in your mind, improve the world. Do you think that's correct? I was wondering when we were going to hit the slippery slope argument. Well, as listeners who have heard some of our previous episodes know, In order for it to be a slippery slope fallacy, you need to show why the one thing would not turn into the other. You're just guessing, though. You don't actually know that that's going to happen. I do know in the mind of somebody who, instead of remaining objective with their journalism, starts to think it's okay to put their own personal biases and insert themselves into the story and use it as a tool, a means to an end, rather than an objective thing to use responsibly. I know that that kind of person, that's the mindset that would lead them to using it towards things like this. I don't think you know that. I think you have a a good, strong guess that you cannot be moved from, but I don't know that that's absolutely going to happen. I don't buy the story that journalist is the only person there, saves a drowning child, and suddenly wants to start a political coup in like South America. I just don't buy it. The story, though, is journalist saves a kid and then reports on how they saved the kid, undermining objectivity of the news. And at the moment they undermine objectivity of the news, now they have free reign to use it subjectively to whatever end, so long as they think that end justifies the means. I will address subjectivity a little bit later in this discussion, but again, you're not moving me from my position. Well, let me give you another example here. And For our listeners, I like photography as a hobby. So most of my journalist examples here are photographs. But another famous photograph 
was taken by Associated Press photographer Eddie Adams, also in Vietnam. It shows Nguyen Van Lem being executed in the middle of a street in Saigon. I would look this photo up if I were our listeners. In fact, we'll post them on our socials, Twitter, Facebook, as usual, still at Indubitably Pod. When you see this photo, you'll see Nguyen Van Lem standing in a flannel shirt with his hands tied behind his back, while another man, South Vietnamese General Nguyen Nok Lone, holds a pistol to his head. Van Lem is shot dead right then and there. If you were the reporter in that situation, what would you have done? Would you have tried to stop the execution? Go back to the criteria that I brought up that the journalists themselves have set forth. They would need to possess the ability to stop the execution in order to actually be compelled to act. If you are a journalist, you're typically unarmed, correct? Right. So what would they possibly have been able to do? You're also a reporter from a Western country in a nation like this. You could ask the person to stop. You could point out that there's no trial. You could point out this man was just dragged in the middle of the street with a gun to his head. You could at least make an attempt. I'm not saying you'd be successful. The question is, would you have tried to stop the execution? Not knowing more about the particulars of this case, I would say that a journalist would probably err on the side of recognizing that they probably could not stop the execution and also recognizing that they could put themselves in danger of being killed as well and probably not act. And I still think that that's consistent with the expectation of when they're going to help people. And that's absolutely the right choice. A couple of things to give more detail to this particular situation. Before being dragged to the general, the executed man had apparently murdered a different military officer, as well as that officer's wife, six children, and 80-year-old mother. On top of that, Nguyen Van Lem, the executed man, was also a member of the Viet Cong, who the United States was engaged in war against. So, is he a human deserving of saving? Or was he an enemy who we should be glad to see die? My point is, I know this is an extreme example, but there's a gray area and there's layers to any situation in which people are, are engaged in life and death circumstances. And again, as a journalist from the outside to come in and start playing God and being the savior and imposing themselves on the situation, not knowing these things, you're bound to make the wrong decision. And so it's best to do what you know, which is document and communicate situations to the general public and let the people who know what they're doing, whether it's the locals, whether it's medical professionals, what have you, let them do their jobs. To that, I would say when people honor their humanity and respect the urges that compel them to help people, they may be doing it imperfectly. And I don't think we'll ever be able to answer for that. I would still prefer the world in which the people who are tasked with reporting issues are still people at the end of the day. And then that means perhaps intervening when the situation aligns itself to enable that intervention. I'm not going to deny the fact that people have an obligation to help each other in this particular episode. I might in other episodes. But in this particular episode, the general human does have an obligation to help the other humans around them. But that being said, there are certain professions where you need to put that to the side. You need to put your emotions to the side and think more rationally, look big picture, and make difficult decisions that are really hard psychologically to live with after the fact. But that's the job that you take on. For example, doctors and nurses working in places of conflict might have to let people die that they could have saved potentially if letting that one person die gives them the capacity to, to help more people in the long run. This triage system has to be, uh, you know, I'm glad that we have a podcast and I don't work in a hospital. That's all I'm saying. This has to be incredibly emotionally taxing, but we ask the people to take on these jobs to do it. And I think that journalists are in a similar situation where they have to put aside a part of their humanity that's the obligation that they take on when they get into an occupation like journalism. And I don't think that asking them to take on more of an obligation to be good Samaritans is fair. 
your whole premise on the work of journalism and the way that journalists should behave and therefore also not behave because you're asking them not to intervene is based upon a flawed assumption about their objectivity. We'd like to think that journalism is objective or even that it could be objective, but in and of itself, there are choices made that betray the fact that it could never be objective. The choice of where to report and who to send to report on issues basically requires a preference towards one story over another because we have limited resources and limited reporting. The choice of who to interview in these particular circumstances and then how to actually edit it so you get the best soundbite to tell the story that you want to tell is a form of intervention and allows room for subjectivity that betrays the idea of objectivity. If you're going to point out my what you claim to be slippery slope, I get to point out some logical issues in your argumentation as well. Here, all I'm hearing is you saying there are problems with journalism, but your suggestion of inserting the person even more into the situation just seems to be making these things worse. Just because these are issues already, shouldn't we be trying to minimize it as much as possible? I didn't say that these were problems. I just said that they are a part of journalism that you're ignoring. And I think that that aids storytelling. The idea of a person's own knowledge and feelings and preferences informing their story means that we don't just have little journalist robots out there who would all report the exact same story with the exact same form of writing. We have different people with different talents going into areas and coming out of situations where they're all observing the same thing, but writing a totally different story each of them. And that's part of what makes journalism so interesting. Okay, I understand in the era of YouTube and Facebook, anybody with an internet connection and an iPhone can be a quote, journalist, all you have to do is start up your blog, and you're good to go. But I do think that there's a difference between journalism that should be objective, fact based, and maybe most closely related editorials, which at the very least don't pretend to be objective. They are very clear about the fact they're an opinion. But what you're talking about are people who want to put themselves in the situation and talk about it afterwards. They can be a blogger. They can be an influencer. They can write a book. They can create a documentary. All of these things are valuable, but none of these things should claim to be objective journalism like we're talking about in the episode today. They have a purpose but that purpose is different than journalism. And I think that you might be conflating the two. I think we should probably move on and discuss our last intention here, which is the idea of a moral obligation. Right. This is important to me because in the motion that we agreed on that read, journalists who cover subjects in distress have a moral obligation to help, to act as good Samaritans. To me, the word obligation is key. It's not a debate about whether they should or whether they should not. It's a debate about whether they are obligated to do so. And I think that at the point where they are already doing more than most people, they certainly don't have an obligation to do even more. They're in a poorly paid profession, in dangerous situations, far from their home, far from their family, already helping the subjects that they cover, as I've mentioned, by bringing attention to the cause and recruiting help from people who can help, I don't see how at the end of all of that, it's fair for us to tell them, oh, and by the way, you have to do this other thing as well if you want to be considered an ethical person. It's not that we're asking regular folk to expose themselves to situations in which they could be helpful. It's just that in every other situation where incidentally something awful is happening and a person happens to be there who could fix the issue, why we're making journalists exempt from that call, from that human pull to help, the moral obligation to do it in every other scenario except for journalism. And this isn't a happens to be there, though. This is not them being there randomly. Again, this is them sacrificing and choosing some of the most problematic places on the planet to be. And the people that are criticizing them, the people who criticize Kevin Carter, for example, and led to his suicide, are doing it from their comfortable homes 
in their armchair, probably watching TV, surfing the internet with their family. These people, what's really ironic about this is the people who are criticizing Kevin Carter for not assisting this girl with the vulture, or at least he chased the vulture away, not assisting this girl in getting to the food center, only even know about the girl because of him. How ironic is that? He did his job. Now they know this thing is happening. And then they're like, from their couches, oh, by the way, you need to do more so I can sit here and continue to judge you. Now we're back to you being cynical about who all the critics are of people's inaction. Oh, it wasn't somebody down the road at the food center that was judging him and criticizing him. It was somebody back home reading it in the newspaper, seeing the picture on the internet. Just because somebody happens to be comfortable doesn't mean that their criticism is invalid. It also doesn't mean they couldn't get up and do something about it themselves. Sure, they could. They absolutely could. They're probably going to have a situation in their lives in which they are going to help other people. They just don't happen to put themselves in as likely a scenario as being in Sudan. But a lot of people rise to the occasion when it happens in front of them, regardless of where it happens. It happens in California. It happens in Africa. It happens everywhere. I live in the Bay. And homelessness is a huge problem here. And I definitely think that I have an obligation to try and do something about it. But I haven't donated anything to the last hundred homeless individuals that I've walked by. And part of the reason for that, that I think applies very directly to journalists, is that the suffering is just endless. When you put yourself in the worst possible situation, Mine is a obviously a small microcosm of that. But if I walk down the street in San Francisco and I see homeless person after homeless person after homeless person, if I donate $10 to one and $10 to the next and $10 to the next, it seems hopeless. I'm not making a dent in the problem. And so when we talk about obligation, is there a certain point in which a problem is so large that your obligation has to run out at some point? Your argument is because we can't do everything, then we should do nothing. Yeah, you cannot fix homelessness by donating $10 to someone on the street. But for that person, that could be the difference between them eating for the day. What does the scale have to be in order for you to actually warrant acting? Two answers. One, I'm not saying that because I can't fix everything, do nothing. I'm saying that because I can't fix everything, continue to do what I am doing, which is journalism, which is galvanizing people to the same scale as the problem that I face so that everything could potentially be done. That's number one. Number two is, let's take Kevin Carter as an example. He didn't just take this one picture of a girl and a vulture. He has dozens and dozens of photos. And even just the photos from the feeding center show dozens and dozens of individuals who are malnourished who need more food. He also has photos of murders that took place in South Africa. He has photos of victims of gun battles, of gang violence. It's never ending. And in each of those situations, potentially, he could have put down his camera and helped somebody. But again, this goes back to what I said at the beginning of the episode, where I think that it is mutually exclusive. I think that the humanitarianism and the journalism cannot coexist at the same time in the way that you'd like them to. Every second that he is helping somebody is a second he is not doing his job as a journalist. And all of his seconds could be filled up with helping people if he really wanted to. This goes back to the question of immediacy. What could reasonably be done if he's the only person there to do it? In most instances where there are systemic issues like this, it's very unlikely he's the only journalist there. And when there are issues of the immediate need where he could help one person, that probably does not detract from his ability to still be a journalist in all the other situations, or perhaps to provide an opportunity for another journalist to report about him. And again, if we're going to say that the trade-off of helping people is compromised journalism, I'm willing to accept that. The way that this whole discussion has been framed is a little bit like the trolley problem, which Seasoned listeners of Indubitably should know that we've brought up many times now. But ultimately, we're making a choice. In this instance, one option, which is to do nothing, 
will almost certainly lead to the death or great harm of somebody else. The other option to do something to actually intervene does not carry the same guarantee of death and harm. There could be. People can still die anyway. The journalists themselves could get hurt, but it is not a guarantee like it would be if they didn't flip the switch in the first place. This whole time, we've been hearing this criticism from you, Josh, about how poorly this whole thing gets executed, that people make bad choices and they become self-serving and they can't possibly do enough. So they, they shouldn't start in the first place because it's preferable to just report. The way that it happens when a journalist intervenes is probably imperfect, incomplete, and occasionally counterproductive. But we task people all the time with making decisions like that to act to the best of their ability, to the extent of the knowledge that they have at that time. And we consider those acts moral already when it comes to every other person who's doing it. And we should do the same when we consider it the result of the intervention of a journalist. Just because there's an immediate issue in front of you, an immediate person who's suffering in a manageable way that you can directly help, doesn't mean that it is more important than the indirect help that journalism can provide by galvanizing readers or galvanizing individuals who see a photo and are moved to act to assist in a conflict that they wouldn't have assisted in otherwise. My problem with your position in this debate as a whole is that you're using the trolley problem as a perfect example. You're prioritizing that one person because they're in front of you and then losing sight of the thousands that you could help if you maintain your focus on journalism in a focused way that maintains its integrity. The benefits that come from that outweigh, no matter how much our emotions would tell us otherwise, outweigh the small actions that you can take. And if that's the case, I don't think that we can put an extra obligation on journalists to ignore that analysis of the world and say that they're bad people for doing so. We need to discuss a part of journalism that we have yet to, that I think really drives home the idea of a moral obligation. The fact is, Journalists can only do their work because of the people who are involved that they are reporting on and often help from those very people getting to the source of the story. If they are using these people essentially for the story that enables them to do their job, whether they're reporting on them or helped by them, doesn't that create the moral obligation that they should return the favor should immediate harm be presented? Journalists do have an ethical obligation. And you make an interesting point here that the field of journalism relies on the very subjects that we're talking about. So I do agree that there is an obligation from journalists to those subjects. But the obligation is to, in my opinion, tell their story in as fair and ethical a manner possible. And I still hold that the most fair and most ethical way to tell that story is as an objective outsider who passes the facts along and allows for that person's narrative to be shown to the rest of the world. If you are going to draw this up as a sort of contract between the journalists and the subjects that they're covering, I think that's what the contract looks like. These subjects are in distress. They are suffering. The journalist covers them. And that coverage, if done in a quality fashion, is the journalist upholding their side of the bargain. And as a result of that, everybody's lives improve. You're assuming that journalism actually would help those people, that the exposure to the story would be sufficient compensation, so to speak, that there would be affected change upon the reporting, the reading of these great stories, objective stories from these places. That's a that's a maybe. It's definitely the case that if they intervene and save a life in the moment, that they would be helping somebody. But the possibility of potentially helping people through journalism is tenuous. And it reads more like exploitation if they're going to take these stories with no guaranteed return. 
there's no mutual back scratching here if we're only saying that these people are fodder for media, but they are not worth saving in the moment because the media is more sacrosanct. There is no guaranteed life saving on your side either. The situations that journalists inject themselves into are not one offs where there's a kid, they missed breakfast that morning, maybe they didn't eat the day before. And the journalist happens to have a cliff bar in their pocket and gives them the cliff bar, and then the problem is solved. The kid will still be hungry the next day. There's still a famine in South Sudan. Like literally, there's still a famine in Sudan. And that's not going to be solved by the actions of this single person helping a single victim in a single act of kindness. But if we want to talk about the journalist and their obligation and what they could do to definitively improve things, that only happens at the large enough scale to solve the root problem. And the root problem is not that they, a child is hungry on a day. The root problem is there is no food for an entire population of a country. And the journalist has the capacity to do something about that and are. And that's where their obligation lies. And that's where their obligation ends. And I say they better fulfill that obligation when they can also put themselves into that story and acknowledge the humanity of both themselves and the people that they're reporting on. All right. Well, I know that you're still holding up your side of the debate because that's what the podcast is for. But now as we come to the end of the episode, you can drop the facade and you can let our listeners know that I've convinced you to come to my side. So why don't we get to hear what are your final thoughts on this? How can a journalist in a place of conflict facing a suffering person, decide to balance their profession with their emotions. Did I win this debate? You absolutely did not win this debate. Damn it. The profession already speaks to this, which I brought up at the very beginning. They have a criteria for when not only a journalist could intervene, but should intervene. And at the point that they've accepted these assignments, they've accepted to work for the news organization that they do, and they accept the overall ethical standards within that profession, they agree that this is when they should act, when they should intervene. So what is it for us to say, oh, no, 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 your ethical standards are wrong. We're not journalists, nor are we people in these situations where intervention from a journalist might be helpful. I'm I'm unmoved by any of your arguments as, as much as you tried, Josh. I think that if you wanted a summary of how I really feel about this, you could start the episode over. After all that, did I do enough to convince you to come to my side of the issue? Do you agree that journalists can and should intervene in these particular circumstances? You know, we began this episode by saying we should practice what we preach, which oftentimes is Let's be reasonable and open-minded and be willing to mold our worldviews when we get new information or good argumentation. But no, you didn't convince me either. <laughs> I think that it's easy for us to talk about ethics from behind the mic. It's easy for these keyboard warriors to criticize the journalists who are out there and actually doing something. But it's impossible for any of us to tell what would happen in the actual moment, if we were faced with a decision like this. Realistically, there are countless situations happening around the world every single day that don't have a correct answer and certainly not an absolute moral standard that could be upheld. The best defense of those journalists who decided not to help the subjects that they were covering comes in their obviously tortured consciences in the aftermath. Kevin Carter, the photographer of the vulture and the girl, took his own life. Eddie Adams, who captured the moment Nguyen Van Lem was executed, said afterwards of his recognition, I was getting money for showing one man killing another. Two lives were destroyed, and I was getting paid for it. I was a hero. Two people died in that photograph. The general killed the Viet Cong. I killed the general with my camera. I think it's obvious that they're very clearly trying to do the right thing. And they are doing good in the world. Carter brought attention to the famines in Sudan in a way that no one else was able to. Adams helped fuel sentiments leading to the end of the Vietnam War. 
We need journalism to remain objective and untainted to continue to reap those benefits from it as a profession. And people that take your position where they can inject their subjective opinions or motivations into the news we get result in us getting the world we're in now. The concept of fake news did not come about randomly. Sure, it's overblown by certain orange-tinted people, but it's fueled by taking just a quick look online and seeing all of the, quote, journalists who have prioritized their emotions over a rational view of the world and a clear dedication on how they could improve it. So I'm sorry, Kelly, but no, I do not think that journalists have a moral obligation to act as good Samaritans. That's okay. I can be right whether or not you agree. While I remain resolute in my side, we we can at least agree that this is a really complicated issue. And one of the things that might be helpful in demonstrating the complexity of this issue is to see some of these photographs that we've been talking about today. I will caution everybody, they are very hard to look at for a lot of people. It may not be for everybody, but being able to witness history like that really informs a lot of what we've been discussing today. So we will have those posted on our Twitter and our Facebook for people to look at if they feel comfortable. Again, you can find both of those at Indubitably Pod. And as usual, thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you could fulfill your moral obligation and act as a good Samaritan by leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you might be listening. We really do appreciate everyone that already has, and we're looking forward to talking to you all again soon. 